From the city of brotherly love and the great state of Ohio, this is Deadline. I'm Michael Sperger. And I'm J.C. Wilson. J.C., we have reached a very special time of year for certain parents. You mean the days when we slowly siphon away the kids' Easter candy? (laughs) I'm surprised he would commit that thought to a recording. I mean, it's obviously untrue in my case. I'm I'm thinking of other meaner parents. Oh, yeah, of course. No, no. I'm actually talking about the May 1st deadline for committing to a college. We have a lot of high school seniors out there who are having a tough spring. And on top of everything else, they now need to make the decision. See, in, in my part of the world, there are some old wounds associated with the phrase, the decision. Hey, hey, all's well that ends well. He, he opened a school. LeBron ended a 52-year championship drought for Cleveland. He has done more for that city than Randy Newman and Drew Carey combined. Those would be three of the horsemen of the Ohio po- apocalypse right there. Okay, so LeBron, Randy, and Drew. Who's the fourth one? Joe Walsh. <laughs> And, and you know what makes Joe Walsh special? $150 tickets for the Eagles, the Hell Freezes Over Tour. At no time did he throw a telecaster at Don Henley. <laughs> now, now, I should throw in here, uh, Randy Newman was actually born in L.A., didn't hail from Ohio. So his 1972 recording of Burn On, which of course is about the Cuyahoga River catching fire, seems even more mean-spirited in hindsight. He's a bitter, bitter man, surprisingly. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I got to say, though, I went down a Wikipedia rabbit hole today, the best kind, and the depth chart of famous people coming from Ohio is just insane. So let's let's start. Let's start with Steven Spielberg, Mm -hmm. George Clooney, Mm -hmm. Dean Martin. Oh, yeah. Paul Newman. Preach. Martin Sheen. Mm-hmm. And, and and speaking of Martin Sheen, seven U.S. presidents, second only to Virginia, which had a head start as one of the colonies. We, we didn't get started. Till, we were the 18th state. So, you know, I don't know why Virginia is as far behind as they are, frankly. Yeah, there's like a there's like a per year advantage that you've got there. Clearly, no, definitely. definitely. Uh-huh. Uh, also, the creators of both Calvin and Hobbes and Kathy, uh, Bill Watterson, famously from Chagrin Falls. Yes, and very, very uh, – he's still there. It's mm-hmm. one of those Sasquatch kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, the authors of both the Goosebumps and Captain Underpants series. Both very popular in my house. Mm-hmm. Harriet Beecher Stowe. That, that, mm-hmm. one, that one caught me by surprise. Arsenio Hall. I'm not – I'm going to spare you. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the Naked Cowboy. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, an Ohio native. All of them. Yep, we claim uh-huh. them all. Okay, it makes sense to me that the Naked Cowboy comes from Ohio because he's just this dude who hangs out in Times Square all the time. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, he had to go somewhere, right? You can't stay in Ohio and be naked like that. That's just not going to work for us. No, you guys probably have rules. <laughs> well, I mean, there's a few. There, there, there are few and far between, but they do exist and we do adhere to them. Uh-huh. All uh-huh. right, let's, let's get back to business. It's college decision time, and for some kids, that decision might involve no college at all, at least for now and maybe forever. Those are tough options to consider when kids are feeling so much pressure to get their degree and pursue a professional career. And we have to recognize as professional dads that our kids might not follow the same paths that we have followed. Every kid's got to find their own way, even if that way involves some switchback turns and some stops and starts. 
So let's hear from Mike's daughter, Maria, who serves as art director for Dadline and also joined us for our dad joke episode. Maria took a gap year between high school and college and is now enrolled as a first-year student at a college in California. She's home right now for the quarantine and gave us this exclusive interview. Let's start with your senior year in high school. What do you remember now about your college search process? That I had no idea what I was doing or what I wanted. I didn't have a real understanding of what I was looking for in a school. So the schools that I applied to were a totally random, just mosh posh of big and small city, rural, liberal arts, big university. Like, I just applied to some random schools. So then when I got my results back, I didn't like them because I didn't really like any of the schools I applied to. Like, a week before the May 1st deadline, I realized that I just wasn't interested in committing to any of my options. I had gotten into a school that I really liked but wasn't an option financially. And then the schools that had given me money or were in our range just were not good schools for me. They weren't good options. When did the idea of a gap year come into the picture for you? Middle school. Middle school? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I wanted to take a gap year since middle school. (laughs) School's just always been really hard for me, and when I got my learning disability diagnosis, it really put everything into perspective, and I always have been a traveler and a world explorer or whatever. (laughs) So I wanted to spend my gap year like traveling since I was in middle school, and then that idea kind of went away. Back to that point in senior year, you get to like the last week of uh, before the deadline. Yep. Didn't make a choice for a school. Right. Gap year idea comes back into play. What are your th- initial thoughts at that point about what you could do with a gap year? One thing had to include a second college process. I was going to have to relook at schools prioritize my own opinions about where I wanted to spend the next four years and redo the whole college process, which was a real pain. But beyond that, I think I was, again, my heart has always been in traveling. So that was definitely what I was thinking. And I needed resume boosters um, because my, due to my learning disabilities, my grades haven't been the strongest through high school. So Having something on my resume in my gap year that would pique interest in universities was important. I wonder if you wouldn't mind to talk a little bit about your learning disability that you've mentioned, just so folks know where you're coming from. Uh, So I have dyslexia and executive functioning issues. Um, Dyslexia is a pretty common learning disability. People know enough about it. (laughs) Executive functioning is the one that I feel like people, only if people have had learning disabilities do they know what executive functioning is, you know? Like, it's kind of your ability to, like, follow a schedule, do routine activities. It's, like, the executive role, like, kind of the assistant in your head. She's not so sharp. He's not so sharp. <laughs> May 1st comes and goes. You've, you've decided at that point that you're not going to commit to a college. You're thinking about a gap year. Yep. And... You're surrounded in school by people who have made a college choice. That was the worst. Yeah, what, what, what did it feel like? What was the vibe? Um, I didn't really openly say that I was taking a gap year. I just didn't publicly commit to a college. Um, and then there's, you know, May 1st, everyone wears their college t-shirt that they're committed to. That's 
like college day. Everyone's committing. And I was so anxious to go into school that day in just my normal outfit. Yeah. <laughs> and not committing to college. Of course, my closest friends knew at that point, but by the end of senior year, I didn't have that many close friends. <laughs> um, I felt like an outsider, for sure. I felt like a failure. I felt really unsure because at that point I didn't know what I was going to do with my gap year. Summertime comes around and you're figuring out what to do next. Yep. And how'd you, how'd you work through that? As a like future poli-sci major, I wanted to work on a campaign. It was 2018. The midterm elections were coming up in November. So I thought that was a great opportunity that that year would be my gap year. Um, you and I found Justice Democrats. Justice Democrats. They scouted AOC, and then as her campaign picked up speed, honestly, before it picked up speed, you and I were big on her because we just followed politics like that. We looked at other so, uh, Justice Democrats who were running around the country and started to look at their races, um, um, started reaching out to them for internships. Um, but the campaign I ended up working on, I tried to get the job through networking. I had some personal connections with the campaign, um, which I was kind of heavily relying on. And then when those fell through, <laughs> I definitely panicked. Because <laughs> at that point, I'd fallen in love with the candidate who I worked for, Stacey Abrams, and was kind of determined to work for her and thought it was going to be an easy shot. And then my connection fell through heavily. And... So then I was kind of on my own in the process. Um, not entirely on my own, because I you were super helpful in all of this. Because at that point, we've walked out of the college process, out of college admissions. You know, my college guidance counselor was not much help at this point. Right. Um, and we're in, like, uncharted territories. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges. Um, it became clear to me pretty quickly after you decided to go gap year, that this was very much a choose-your-own-adventure situation. Yeah, totally. And it was hard to find support. All right, so Stacey Abrams. Yes. You, you, what you, a beast. You find out. <laughs> I'm sure that's how she loves to be described. <laughs> what a beast. <laughs> what a beast. You decide, you decide that you want to work on her campaign. Summer's wrapping up. My friends are getting close to when they're about to head out. So it was just kind of like commit time. So you and I packed up the van and started driving down to Atlanta, Georgia, which is where the campaign was headquartered. At that point, I had emailed back and forth with the intern coordinator for the campaign and set up a phone interview. He just said he was going to call me at some point in the week. So I'd been waiting for his call, and we just decided to go down. Um, I get the call. I think we were in a Sheets in, like, Virginia or something. We were in the middle of nowhere in a gas station convenience store and, like, throw my stuff to you and just run out to the car um, and do the phone interview. That goes well. And I have my in-person interview a day or two after we get there. That goes well. And I'm hired and placed with a um, voter protection team, which I joined in. Um, late August and stayed on through election day. What did you learn about yourself from the experience of working on a campaign? I was good at it. 
it was really easy to leave school thinking that I wasn't good at high-functioning stuff like that, that my executive functioning was going to limit me in a professional workspace. Um, but then when I got into it, I realized that it's much more enthusiasm and passion for what you're doing and an ability to, you know, get there every day, be committed to it, um, which I was good at. I was really committed to this campaign, so I was great at it. Let's pick up then when you leave the campaign and come home. Yes. So that's maybe a week or two after election day. This is the depressing part of my year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to talk about this part, but okay. <laughs> you said before that you needed to go through a second college search. Yes. And the way the college deadlines work, like some of them are right around the time. The election. The right. election. <laughs> Which I was not having any type of time to be filling out college applications. So I get back from the election. Um, I'm back in Pennsylvania <laughs> in my bedroom in my parents' house. <laughs> And it's time to apply to schools. Um, the school that I really liked in my senior year was um, University of Colorado Boulder. And they charge a ridiculous amount for out-of-state. But my brother had gone to school in Colorado, so I'd had some chances to visit him and really just liked the West Coast energy. So that's where we decided it was a good starting point for my second college process. We found this other um, program of... California State Universities. All had one application, great and dandy. So <laughs> we start looking at those schools, find a few that seem like they'd be good fits, do that application, send them out. Apply to a few other schools, but in my memory, I really was banking on the Cal State schools. I don't really even remember where else I applied. Get the results back, spring break, you guys go on a trip without me. Anyway, I come out, meet you in California, <laughs> look at San Francisco State University, San Bernardino University. I was scheduled to look at a few others, but after looking at San Francisco State, I fell in love. I really liked it um, and decided to commit to San Francisco State. Let's talk a little bit about where you are at this point. You enrolled at SF State. Yes. So you've had your first year out there. First year kind of got interrupted with COVID. <laughs> Coronavirus! <laughs> so you've been home for a couple weeks. Yes. How do you think about college and about SF State at this point? I loved SFSU. Great campus, really good community. San Francisco is such a cool city, and I felt that my energy really matched the city. The first semester was rough, um, settling in finding that support system that I felt was really important. But I found it, um, which was great. So opening myself up from that, I really got back in touch with my creative side being in San Francisco. It's such a creative and vibrant city, and I had found a really creative group of friends. So when I started to sew more, to be more creative, to focus on my embroidery more, I was just feeling great. Like, I was feeling more like myself than I had in years. So I am currently in the process of finding and applying to one-year uh, one um, design, like, certificate programs. Yeah. And that will be for sewing, fashion? Um, like, design and fashion, yeah. 
but I'm not like I don't want to do business or PR or anything like I want to sew like I want to do hands-on just I don't even want to be a designer really <laughs> I would just like to sew for like a oak couture house that would be the dream <laughs> I appreciate you talking about that I know that it's not easy yeah. <laughs> to talk about where you are right now um, it's just so unsure, really. Yeah. Because if I don't get into any design programs, I'll return to SFSU. Yeah. If I, yeah, get just all negative results, then back to college I go. It's the uh, same decision process as a professional athlete, right? Like, <laughs> right. You, you don't go high enough in the draft, and you go back to school another year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> What's it like for you as a dad to be on that journey with Maria? We've known for a long time that Maria might follow her own path. That first college search cycle that we went through was really hard for all of us. It wasn't our first time doing a college process, but as Maria was going through the process, we could see that she didn't like her options and it didn't feel like it was going to come to a happy resolution. So I was really worried about that. It was a great joy to see her work on the campaign, even though that was very draining for her. It was very challenging to be away from home for the first time for some length. It was you know, challenging to be the only 18-year-old around uh, in an environment um, full of people in their 20s and later. The journey's kind of continuing for her now. I think that she is trying a lot of different paths to find her way. And I think that's what reality looks like for a lot of kids. When I was about to graduate from college, uh, there was a friend I was talking to. And, you know, at that point, you're making the small talk of like, what are you going to do next? And I just said, hey, what are you what are you doing after this? And she was like, I have no freaking clue. I don't know. I'm 22 years old. And I think like, that's, that's the, that's the more realistic attitude. Like, how are you supposed to know at 18 or 22 or uh, 40, whatever we are, like, how are, how are you supposed to know with certainty yeah. what, what your life is supposed to be? That's something that I have thought of a lot in that you're 18 years old, you're a senior in high school, and going into May, you're having to raise your hand to go to the bathroom. And suddenly by June, you might be taking out student loans to the tune of, you know, 20 grand. Uh, that's kind of a chasm to cross, isn't it? It's a funny thing because when you're parenting a teenager, you have years of getting used to them being in constant change. And you experience that as like the weather of their moods. They're lovey and, and snuggling with you one minute and, you know, snapping off at you the next. And that's hard. They're constantly trying out different things. So then suddenly you get to the biggest decision they have to make in their lives up to that point, And we expect them to be models of consistency. <laughs> like that not is not realistic. No. <laughs> not in the least. What I respect about what Maria has done so far is that, as you say, like she is, she is being true to that impulse within herself to figure it out. I've always said of Maria that when it comes to, uh, her own emotional life, she does the hard work first. That's tough as a parent because she kind of crashes headlong into things. But I've never doubted her resilience because I've seen her do this in different forms over and over again. And I can imagine now, you know, as as she's kicking off her, her education and starting that journey, 
we'll see some pretty exciting stuff there, I think. <laughs> you know, when you, when you see a kid take a gap year against all that peer pressure, when you see them decide to, you know, go for technical training or, or, you know, travel or just like, just stop going to school for a while and get a job and rent an apartment and, you know, try being an adult for a little bit, like mad respect for every kid who is out there actively trying to figure it out instead of just pretending that they've got it all figured out. Absolutely. And I, I don't think that process necessarily ends. I mean, oh, yeah, Lord, I, no. <laughs> I would like to believe that I have it a little bit more together than when I was, you know, 18 years old and going off to a conservatory. But there's a lot of that, that figuring out that's still going on. So yeah, maybe we all take a step back and, and watch people as they, they take their journeys and help them out where we can and stay out of the way when we should. This college search process is actually the first kind of big milestone in a kid's life where they get to reckon with that reality, where they get to, you know, go through a big decision process and decide, you know, am I going to do the thing that everybody else wants for me or am I going to do the thing that that maybe I kind of want for myself, but I don't have it figured out yet. And that's that's big stuff. I'm biased, OK, because of the way that we've been parenting our kids but I think there's no there's no bigger gift that you can offer your kids than the opportunity to screw up or go down the wrong path or try stuff as much as you and they can bear. Well, we want to wish all of the seniors out there good luck as you make your choices. We're sorry you're missing out on all the good stuff at the end of your high school career. <sighs> But we hope you get to head off on your next adventure very soon. If you're a dad out there working through the end of high school or college with your kids, we want to hear about it. Give us a call on the Dadline mailbox. The number is plus one four one two six eight four dads. That's area code four one two six eight four three two three seven. Operators are not standing by because they've decided to take a gap month and explore painting. But you can leave a message in the mailbox and we'll we'll give it a good listen. And be sure to subscribe to Dadline wherever you get your podcasts. Remember, every time you subscribe, Don Henley takes a Telecaster to the head. <laughs>